Good morning. Buenos dias. You can sit, please. Do you remember in Acts 20? It was a Sunday and, and Paul preached until midnight. Well, get right now. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I want to be brief today. I'll try. I'll do my best. You know, while preparing for this message, um, let's go back. Just making sure it works. Um, I, I was just thinking about this Sunday and the things we have done in the past. And I, I just decided that I needed to address a group of people that we usually forget. Uh, a group of people that, that have feelings, uh, that even though they made a terrible mistake, uh, they need to know that they can be forgiven. They need to know that their lives are also sacred. We got the tendency to kind of put people in, in categories, and some lives are more important than others. All life is sacred. Even the life of people that make mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, right? And uh, this is a group of more than 60 million women who have had an abortion. And uh, you know, sadly, many of them have carried that burden for many, many, many years. Some of them uh, took that burden to their graves. And um, today, uh, there are still millions of women who are feeling guilty about their mistakes that they have made, or the mistake they made. And, uh, and today, I, we, I want you to just start thinking about them. It is just hard to believe that since you know, January to, uh, ni- uh, 1973, uh, when you know, abortion was first legalized in this country, uh, that we have uh, killed uh, our society, uh, more than 60 million babies. And when you think about that, I mean, that's the equivalent of combining 19 uh, U.S. states. So that's a lot of children. That's, that's a lot of people. And for all these years, almost 50 years, 40, 47, 48 years, women have been fed this lie that they must, they must choose between freedom and, 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 having, and having a baby. Uh, and, and, uh, and, but then they come to realize later in life that abortion doesn't liberate women, but enslaves them. Right? right. Say amen. I'm going to have to train you before uh, uh, our new preacher comes. And so um, from my perspective, and it's just not me. I mean, there are people more important and more influential than me. From, from my personal perspective, the number one uh, moral problem in America is not racial tension, is not LGTB rights, and it's not even immigration. And those, those are things that might be important for some groups. Again, we, we try to think in categories. And those are very important issues that we have to deal with. The church has to deal with it. And our society is dealing with it. Uh, but as important as all these issues may be, uh, for me, the number one moral and spiritual problem in America is abortion. And uh, so I'm going to show you a few, few statistics. I want to bore you with this. You can read them. 
Uh, but I want you to start thinking about these ladies. Today, we want to think about these ladies. And the majority of them, for example, this is a, a recent survey. In, in 2014, for example, the majority of those patients seeking abortions, 60% of them were in their 20s. So it's very young people, very young people. And the single, second largest group was in their 30s. Uh, 30s. And uh, overall, 39%, almost 40% of them were white women, 28% black, 25% Hispanic, 6% Asian, and then 3% you know, people from, ladies from other, other background. Of course, when you look at the number of white people in this country and, and African-American and, and Hispanic, per capita, you know, uh, African-American women had the highest abortion rate. And that's creating a big problem uh, for that particular group of people, I believe. Uh, they're killing those kids, and, and, and they're destroying that particular uh, community, uh, the African-American community. Sometimes, and this is kind of where, where I wanted to bring this home pretty quick. Uh, I'm not going to end this, this, this fast. I'm just trying, just to, trying to kind of concentrate in, 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 in what's happening in, in our culture. And I want you to see that 70% of the women who have had an abortion, they say that they're Christians. 70% of them. 27 were Catholics, 26% Protestant, and 15% non-denominational. 35% of Christian women who have had an abortion indicate that they were, they're currently uh, attending uh, church. And they were attending church when that when they, they made that decision. And again, how, what is that saying to us? What is that telling us? Statistics are just not numbers. You need to think about what they, what they, they tells us. Um, so, um, this is another very, uh, uh, for me, it was like, oh my goodness. Just to think that 51% of women, they're sitting in our pews, in, in Christianity, churches in general. Uh, uh, they, they believe that our churches are not prepared to discuss or to, or to deal with an unplanned pregnancy. And in the service, there's all the many things that I'm not going to put on the, on the screen, but they actually feel that it's going to be a lot of gossip, that people are going to criticize them, that there's not going to be mercy for them. And, and so that's kind of what, it, what makes things very, very difficult. When you, when you are a young Christian woman and you made a mistake and you, you feel that you don't have support from anyone. And that's a really difficult spot to be on. Sometimes when we think about women uh, making this decision, we, we believe they are monsters. How in the world can you do that? Well, they're not monsters. Look at David. You can say he's a monster, the way he treats that situation. And many times when you are in a, in a difficult spot, when you feel trapped, you don't make good decisions. And that's why there is an important uh, responsibility that we have as a church to educate our kids, to talk about these issues at home. And for me, it's, it's almost ridiculous when, when people think that, okay, it's, it's election year, 
and then you know I'm going to vote for someone that is gonna go against abortion, and that's fine. I agree with that statement. I will not support someone who doesn't care for life. But that's not really the issue here, as we can see, because the issue starts in our pews. If 50% of women don't think this is a problem in Christian churches, then we, we, the, the problem is bigger than what we think. And so I want, you, I want to encourage you to stop thinking, okay, I'm going to wait for the next four years, and then I'm going to vote for someone who defends life, a pro-life person, and I'm done. Please. It cannot, we cannot believe as Christians that the government is going to take care of this. This is a spiritual issue. We need to take care of this. We need to be part of the solution. So I want you to see this video, and I want you, again, my, my, my main purpose this morning is for us to, to have mercy on these 60 million women that have made a bad decision. So we're going to have a video to, to show. And while they find the video, Click. I've been uh, affiliated with Hope Clinic since 1985. It all started as a result of a Sanctity of Life Sunday at our church where a lady got up and said, we all oppose abortion, but what about the women that have already had one? What are we going to do with them? I had had the abortion in 1964, so it had been over 20 years since um, I began to deal with it. So you can imagine how buried uh, all of my emotions had been all that time. It was a long, slow process. I cried and cried and cried and cried, 21 years worth of tears, and finally made it through. I was asked to lead a group, so I did, a post-abortion uh, healing group. It was hard, but it was healing and helpful. I don't know where I'd be today if I hadn't gone through it. Still in denial, I guess. Men are coming out now and saying I need healing from the memories of making such a bad decision. So I, I just think uh, post-abortion counseling is one of the major uh, outreaches for Hope Clinic. I know for myself, I wouldn't have been able to do the things that I have done to serve the Lord had I not had the opportunity to go through the training and the, and the healing here. I think when you walk in the door, you feel the presence of the love of the Lord here. You don't feel any uh, condemnation, judgment. You just find people who are, love you and want to help you get on a good path. Coming to Hope Clinic really changed my whole perspective on life. I was so full of guilt and shame and unworthiness and didn't have a clue that I could be forgiven, much less forgive myself. I was just tired of living a secret life. You know, they say we're only as sick as our secrets, and I do believe that because there's freedom. And of course, the other thing, my reason for not giving birth was to protect my parents and my counseling all these years. You'd be surprised at the number of young women that had an abortion because they didn't want their parents to find out what they had done. I have no children, I have no grandchildren, but you know what? God has restored what the locusts have destroyed. It's just amazing how many pretend or adopted grandchildren we've got. 
So I'm, I'm a happy person. <laughs> I just feel so thankful that um, God had mercy on me and put me where he did at the, at the right time in the right place. <laughs> hope wins. Hope wins. Hope wins. Hope, 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 hope wins. So it is really difficult to me to watch that every single time. <clears throat> it is difficult because I just, uh, sorry, I cannot believe there are people in this world that have had not the chance to understand the grace of God. Amen. Doesn't matter what you have done. God can forgive you. And um, and that's the problem I see here. The problem I see is that uh, Christians. I don't know. I don't know if we guys, if we are um, afraid of telling. I mean, how can you be afraid of telling people how much God loves them? And it's really hard for me to see a lady like like you know like her. And many of our young girls, and, and I wanna, I'm going to address them right now, here and online, uh, and, and, you know, I have my own daughter here. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. And um, I will never, she will never, my daughter, for example, um, If she gets pregnant, if she's not married, she will always be my daughter, no matter what. And um, I believe the problem is um, with Christians today. Is that um, we don't have mercy on people. We have the tendency to think, well, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. And, you know, we read the, the story of the Good Samaritan, and, and we, we read it. We know, you know, there is a big problem when we say, oh, I already read that, and we think we know. And when you read the story in context, What's happening? You know, Jesus sent 72 people. They're preaching the word. They're taking demons out. I mean, this is a wonderful thing. They come back. And Jesus said, you know, the biggest thing is not that you are being able to, to take care of the devil and, and, and submit their spirit, the bad spirits or the demons. The biggest thing is here is that your names are written in heaven. And then he said, he tells them, uh, and I don't know if I have the passage there somewhere. Yeah, and Luke 10, 24, in the same chapter, I say to you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And there is such a need for, for people to hear this message of mercy, of forgiveness, that it doesn't matter what you have done, 
the Lord loves you. And your life is sacred too. He died for you. And sometimes we, in, in our Christian mentality, stupid mentality, I'm sorry for this word, but it's stupid. We, we teach our kids that they need to be perfect. We, we tell our kids that they cannot make mistakes, that they can make mistakes, because I made mistakes. And, and grace and mercy is not, sometimes it's something that we don't leave. And when we see the story, and, and I'm not going to read it again, uh, but when we see the story of the Good Samaritan, this guy is, the, is not coming to Jesus to, to, to learn anything, to trying to understand his teachings. Uh, he's trying to look, make him look bad and to humil- humiliate him, to trick him. And, uh, and uh, sometimes we, are, we ask questions uh, when we have, uh, sometimes asking questions when we don't have intention of learning anything is very hypocritical. And that's his attitude. He doesn't really want to learn. He just want to trick him. Because he believes, you know, he's an expert of the law. He's a lawyer of the law. He knows everything. And that's the thing. We, we, sometimes we have a lot of knowledge, but it's here. It's not in, in the heart. And you see in Luke chapter 10, there is a story of two people. We see the expert of the law, and we see Martha. Remember Martha? She's in the same chapter. Right after the story. And we see two people that don't grasp, cannot understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Right? And so this guy is thinking that by his works, by loving God and by loving the neighbor, you know, doing things, he's going to find eternal life. Remember that? That was kind of his answer. And then then you see Martha also. Uh, telling Mary just to help, and you know, he asked, she also asked a question, Do you care that she's not helping? And you see two people asking questions to Jesus. And then we see Jesus addressing those questions in, a, in different ways. But those two stories uh, kind of come together when you think about it. I don't have time to go through all of that. I'm almost out of time already. That's why I told you, just get ready until noon. And so, no, I'm not going that long. But this is kind of what I want you to, to understand and to see this, this story in, in, in his context. And, uh, and so this is the, the attention here. There's people that don't understand really what the kingdom is all about. Martha, a good friend of him, and an expert of the law. So he has to explain to them in their own level. And preachers use, usually use the the parable of the Samaritan, when, when we believe, when we feel, well, this church is not doing anything for anyone. So let's start preaching about this so we can get and do something for our neighbor. Or, or when, when you're a different situation, when there is a church jumping from one activity to the next and missions and this and that, and they're always busy. And sometimes then the preacher said, we need to slow down a little bit. Let's be like Mary, right? Let's sit down and listen to the word of God and meditate and so there is a place for, for both. It's not one, it's not one of, of the other. Uh, but we see that this guy has a really, really bad uh, intention. And also, and again, I don't know how, many, how much I'm going to be able to say, but if you look at the structure of the, of the parable, the story, you see that you know, the lawyer asks a question, right? What, what can I do to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers with another question. 
What, what does the, the law say? So he answered with a question, and then he answered Jesus' question, and both agree. Yeah, that's what you have to do. According to the, the law of Moses, you have to do that. It's all about works, right? And so question, question, both agree with the answer that he provides. Then later on, the lawyer asked, he asked another question. He's not satisfied. Sorry. He couldn't trap Jesus, and now he has this big burden. My goodness, now I have to love everybody because I'm supposed to go and love everybody. And he said, that's a lot of people. So he's trying to narrow the neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Because the whole world is a lot of people. So he asked another question, and so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan to set up his question. So he's, you see, Jesus doesn't really answer his question. Sometimes it's not the right question. So sometimes you have to move people and, and help them ask the right question. So Jesus tells a story, and then he asks a second question. And you see the Levite, and you see the, the, the priest, and you see the Samaritan. Who was the neighbor to that guy? And then both agree with his answer. So what is the big deal, would you say? If they agree, is the expert, the expert of the Lord agree, then what is, what is the big deal? The big deal here is that he's not trying to do what he's supposed to do. Because spiritual maturity is not measured by how much, the, how much Bible you know, but rather how much we love and act and look like Jesus. And that's what spiritual maturity is. It's not head knowledge. It's not how many Bible verses we know. Because we can learn all the Bible verses we want. But if they don't come to our heart, if we don't feel them, if we don't live them, it is just a mental and an intellectual exercise. But you have to bring it to your heart. And that was the problem of this man. He didn't know, he didn't understand what mercy is all about. My question for us this morning, do we understand what mercy is all about? I have so many slides, and I want to look, you want to be so happy with what I want to do. Boop, 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 boop. Boop, boop. That's what you guys like. See how they, they get so happy? I was telling Andrew that, you know, you guys get hard, you are hard on us, you know, people that are not from this culture. This is a time-oriented culture. And that's the way it is. So people are constantly looking at the clock. I mean, I have a clock in my face right there, right? I come from a different culture. The average sermon lasts 40 to 45 minutes. We don't care about statistics. After 50 minutes, people are not listening. I don't care. I'm going to keep talking, <laughs> even if you're not listening, right? And it's, I mean, it's not good. One is not better than the other. It's just the way it is. It is culture. And I think that what happened with, with Martha, she was doing what culturally she's supposed to do. She was a host. She needs supposed to be taking care of the guest. I mean, that was a sacred uh, task that she needed to accomplish. And Jesus said, sometimes culture is not what you need to follow. You need to follow me, right? And so, just a note. Just for you. So... Uh, I just want to bring this home again. In Antioch, uh, here at Antioch, we, uh, we are, you know, 
we're getting more and more, more diverse. We're trying. We're baptizing more people. More people are coming in in here that are not uh, uh, white. But the majority of the people here, um, good percentage, are white people from a suburban kind of background. And most of us have grown up in a church, right? And if you didn't grow up in a church, at least you have some kind of teaching and knowledge. And, but then we have all these other people that um, they are not from, from my neighborhood. And that's the question. So who is my neighbor? So you might think, you know, we might think, well, my neighbor is, you know, the guy who lives next door to me. Literally, that's my neighbor. Another white guy that looks just like me and he has the same. Well, that's not what the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about. Because if you look at the story, the Samaritan is uh, from a different racial, is a, he's a, there is some racial tension. Because the Samaritan, they were not pure Jew. They were mixed with other people. So there is some racial tension there. Also, there is another problem of beliefs. They were worshiping God in a different place. They didn't uh, took the whole Bible as inspired by God. They just took a portion. So from the lawyer point of view, they were heretics. And guys from a different race, from a different part of town, from the other side of, the side of the tract is what we say, right? And then Jesus, remember, this, the beautiful thing is Jesus said at the end, who was the neighbor to him? Who was the neighbor? And he said, the one who stopped and helped. So if you ask me that question, okay, Jose, Goyo, whatever you want to call me, um, who is my neighbor? I would say somebody that looks different than you, somebody that have a different ideology than you, somebody that is in a different, different political party than you, maybe. That's kind of what we're dealing with today. Because we're, now we're hating each other because you are from their party and I'm from this party. Because you follow that leader and I follow this leader. Because you support those things and I support these things. So we're hating one another. And then we start to, again, we, we are here in America, sadly, today, we're living in a time where we're, divide, we're dividing people by what we support or not support. And even by racial. And if you go back to those, and I want you to remember those statistics, you can say, well, the majority when, per capita, when you look at the number of white women and the number of African-American women, for example, well, that's a black issue. That's their problem. Why they don't reach out to their own community? Well, that's against what the Good Samaritan story says, because he was from a different ethnic background, from a different part of town. And I didn't like to, they didn't like to go down there. So you can say, so I can tell you today, that this is not an African-American problem or a Hispanic problem. It's just a problem of us. It's our problem. And so we need to stop thinking on those lines of we and, and, and them. Because we are children of God, all of us. And we're all Americans, even with an accent. I'm an American, too. I got a passport to show you. All right? I'm going to have a different accent. I'm from the real South. You think you are from the South? <laughs> I'm more from deeper South than you are. So you might think, well, Hispanic people come to this country legally to have a lot of children. 
And then they are just working all day. They don't pay attention to their own children. I don't have time for their children. And that's the way we think. It's their problem. We got enough problems in America to, be, to keep bringing more problems in here. That they can become a problem instead of souls that need to hear the gospel of Christ. And the problem here, again, is not the amount of works that we do, the amount of you know, uh, how many hours I spend helping others. The problem is here is in the heart. We need to be more mature spiritually, and that only happens when we look, when we think, and when we act like Jesus did. There is a beautiful passage that is not there, so I'm not going to look for it, but it's in Mark chapter 6. You, you can look, uh, you want to read it. Mark 6, 34. And I'm going to start wrapping up. I told you, you know, I only uh, show you, like, what, 10 slides? I have 25, so you're lucky. Mark 6, 34, it says when Jesus landed, this was after he fed 5,000 people, and he was trying to get away from them. He got in a boat, gets to the other side. They're waiting for him already, right? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, I'm in Mark 6, 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them. He was not trying to check on Mark. Okay, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to love people. Boop. He just came out naturally. Brothers and sisters, we need to start loving people naturally. That will make a lot of things a lot easier because it's not a task. If you look at Matthew 25 when Jesus is talking to those who did good deeds, and he said, I was hungry, remember, I was naked, I was in jail. And they asked, well, I don't remember doing anything for you. When did we help you? When, we, when did we feed you? And when you did it to somebody else, for them, for the saved, the ones that did all these things, they did it without even thinking about Can you see that? They didn't have a list of things that I have to do. It came out of their love for others, out of mercy. Right? At the end of the story, when Jesus asked this guy, <clears throat> who was the neighbor? He said, well, the one who had mercy or pity on him. He said, go and do likewise. So the message for you, 10.01. I'm keeping an eye on the clock. The message for us today is to go out and have mercy on others and be like Jesus. He says, he had compassion on them on Solomon Mark 6.34 because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that's something that we need to understand. A lot of people, a lot of young women in their 20s are making a lot of mistakes because they're sheep without their shepherd. Because they need someone to come alongside them and pick them up and heal their wounds and take him to a place like Hope Clinic and tell them, listen, these people are here to help you. They will take care of you. They will take care of your wounds. They will take care of your problems as much as they can. Because, again, uh, uh, Hope Clinic for Women is not a for-profit organization. They operate based on donations like the ones we're making today. And I know many of you got a check this past week. Take a part of that check and help Hope Clinic this morning. That's a worthy cause. Contribute to these people that are bringing them in and healing their wounds. 
And sometimes we don't, we, we don't have the expertise. Sometimes we, we are involved in many other things and, and we're working and I understand that. We cannot do everything. But today, for example, it is a day where we can make a difference on the life of a young woman. That she can come to the Hope Clinic and that they can have an ultrasound and that she can see there is life. This is not a thing. It's life inside you. And, and that's what I'm going to challenge you uh, this morning. Let me go. So again, we can continue. We can have a lot of excuses to not to do what we, suppose, what we know we're supposed to do. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is what we need to do. It's a lot of pew time, a lot of class time. My question for each one of you, how much love and mercy are you showing in the way you act, in the way you use your money? Being a Christian is not about Wednesday night and Sunday morning. That's part of it. It's important to learn about God and be together. But that's not it. We need to act justly. We need to love mercy. We need to walk humbly with our God. Amen? That's what we need to do. So I didn't come to preach a sermon. I came to challenge you to act, to love others, to show mercy. Go and show mercy this week. Think about what are you going to do. Now you're looking for things to do into 2021, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. The ladies were telling me, I want, I'm going to ask you to, at the end, talk to the ladies out there. Renee, the CEO, she's here. And, and she was telling me that a lot of the things that are happening at Hope Clinic are, do, are being done online, virtually, so you don't have to drive there if you don't want to. And so a few things you can do, right, to act. You can help organizing donations in the maternity room. As a group, listen to the ladies, to the teens, as a group overseeing the quarterly maternity room community parking lot sale. You can help in the office uh, as an assistant with the February and March newsletter mailing. You can help with pre-event activities for our virtual gala on March 4th. There are so many things that we can do if you want to work directly with the wounded. If you want to work directly with people, then uh, they need, the biggest need, Renee was telling me, the big, their biggest needs is for male and female mentors for pregnant clients. And remember that sometimes they come as, as couples. It's not just women. Sometimes they bring along the guy. And they're looking for mentors. And these are things that you can do on, through Zoom or online. You don't have to do it uh, there in person. And, and they need, you know, uh, Spanish and other language translators, right? And there is another a cool uh, thing that they do. They have an oral storytelling Bible study, and they, they talk to their clients and, and if it's the maybe shame, they're feeling shameful or shame. And so there is a Bible story for that, that they can learn about it. And, and there is forgiveness. And, and also, this is a Christian-based organization. Most of the, their money comes from churches and for, uh, from individuals like, like you uh, and me. And so all volunteers are trained, right, before they can work with clients. This is just for the people that are working with clients. And so there is a, a one-hour introduct, introductory class, and then there is a five-hour Thursday or Saturday training, 
everything is done uh, online. How about that? So today, I want you to be aware of these young ladies that need to come to church, that need to hear the gospel of Christ, that need to know that the Lord, that God loves them and God can forgive them. I believe more in education. I believe in teaching the gospel. I believe in having mercy on others, and that will change them. That will prevent them from making bad mistakes. But they're out there like sheep without a shepherd. And we need to feel that in our hearts. Again, it's not about Wednesday night and Sunday morning. It goes, our faith, the gospel needs to get out of this, uh, uh, these four walls. So I'm going to ask uh, our uh, song leader to come up to lead us in some songs. I want to invite our elders to come forward also, not to repent, <laughs> although they can if they want but I want them to be here for anyone that can want to come up and pray with them. And um, 